Welcome to another episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about buying a home. And in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about what to do before you even sign a contract. Things to think about and do before you sign on the dotted line. We're going to be talking about location and giving some thought to what you're going to be doing five to seven years from now and taking those factors into consideration uh, when you contemplate what you might be purchasing. We're going to talk about getting pre-qualified for a loan and figuring out the financial parameters and what you can afford when you're looking for a home. And finally, we're going to answer that age-old question, do I really need a realtor? We're going to answer that question and more in today's episode of Lawyer Up. Remember, if you enjoy the episode, hit that like button. If you got something to say, comment below. If you want to know more about the law, subscribe to the channel. And as always, share me on social media. And remember, I am a lawyer, but I am not your lawyer. If you need legal advice specific to your situation, you need to lawyer up with an attorney in your area. So let's talk about the things you need to think about when you're buying a home. And these are things you need to do well before you sign on the dotted line. And the first thing is just think about what your needs are going to be five to seven years from now. Because most likely you're going to be in this home or condo or whatever it is that you purchase for five to seven years. You may be single now, but if you're planning on getting married and having a couple of kids in the next five to seven years, you need to be thinking about a house with the appropriate number of bedrooms for your children. You may want a yard for the dog and whatever else uh, you might need uh, associated with your family. Right now you may be single and it sounds fun to buy a flat over a bar, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you plan on getting married and having a family in the near future. And maybe you're not a young person, maybe you're older, or maybe you're just really busy. Maybe a condo makes more sense. With a condo, you won't have all of the upkeep. You won't have a yard to mow, and you won't have to do all those types of things that would be required uh, to maintain a regular house in a neighborhood or out in the country. And if you have kids, give some thought to what schools you might want them to go to. That can play a large role in deciding where uh, and what type of structure to buy. Maybe you have medical issues and you need to be close to your doctors. Also, give some thought to drive time. Uh, if you have to drive 30 minutes one way to drop the kids off at grandma's and then go 30 minutes back to your house and then another 30 minutes to work, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to live in an area where you have to add that much extra drive time to your day. Nowadays, sufficient Wi-Fi is a big consideration for people, especially those that work at home. Personally, I live in the middle of nowhere. Our Wi-Fi is terrible. I can't possibly work from home. But if working from home is important to you, you need to make sure you find a location that has sufficient Wi-Fi. And all of this information is basically common sense. However, in the practice of law over the past 20 years, I have learned that common sense isn't all that common anymore. Now the next thing you need to do is figure out your financial parameters and what is your ability to pay for uh, this new home. There is little that's more frustrating than finding the house of your dreams and then going to the bank and discovering that they'll only lend you about 75% of the money you need to purchase it. So I always recommend that you get pre-qualified for your loan. 
If you need financing in regard to a particular transaction, go to the bank in advance. I usually recommend that people go to three different banks and you'll want to get your tax returns and your pay stubs together. Each bank will have their own application that you'll fill out. Uh, they'll ultimately pull a credit report and they'll make a determination of how much money they will loan to you. You will get pre-qualified so you will know the amount of money you can borrow. And a lot of times they will give you a letter and it'll specifically state you're approved up to say $200,000 that we will lend to you for 30 years at interest rate X or whatever it is. A lot of times uh, they won't fix the interest rate until it gets closer to closing because interest rates can go up or down during the time when you're looking for a house. Now it's important to note that just because a bank will lend you the money doesn't necessarily mean that you should borrow it. Just because they're willing to give it to you, it may not make sense financially for you to take that entire amount of money. And we're gonna talk more specifically about what that means. But just as a general rule of thumb, you don't wanna borrow more than 28% of your gross earnings. And that is how much money you make in a year. Take that times 0.28, and that's the amount of money that you should not exceed for an annual payment for a mortgage. Now I keep using that word mortgage. Uh, you may not be familiar with it. What a mortgage is essentially is it's a series of documents that make up your borrowing and repayment obligation to a bank or a lender. Uh, now the two main documents in a mortgage are going to be number one, the promissory note. And this is a document that says, I as the borrower, promise to pay you as the lender back for this loan. We're using $200,000 as an example. Uh, and we'll say that every month on the first, I will pay you a set amount of monthly payment. And this will go on for the term of the loan, which is generally 30 years. Some home mortgages are for 15. But this promissory note spells out the monthly repayment obligations that you have to the bank. A second and equally important document is generally referred to as a security agreement. A lot of states call this the deed of trust. What the security agreement does is it basically states that if you don't pay back the loan as you promised in the promissory note, that your lender can go back and take the collateral, which is your house, from you. This is generally referred to as a foreclosure. Now this can occur at the courthouse steps and that's called a power of sale foreclosure or through a court proceeding, which is called a judicial foreclosure. So in the event that you don't do what you promise to do in repaying the lender, this security agreement gives them the right to take the house back, to take their collateral back and use it to offset against the obligation that you had to pay them on the promissory note. So that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about a mortgage. It's just your repayment obligation to the bank, which is secured by the real estate uh, that you purchased with the money that the bank lent you. Now, going back to our original example, we were talking about what your uh, mortgage payment might be. Now, when you pre-qualify, you're going to get a letter from your lender and it's gonna specify the amount of money they're going to lend you and the term. And what a lot of people do is they immediately divide those two to figure out what their monthly payment is going to be. So for example, bank says we're gonna give you $200,000 and you can pay it back over a 30 year term. 
Well, people will take 30 years. Let's see, that's 12 months times 30, that's 360 months. So they'll divide $200,000, which is the amount the bank agreed to lend, by 360. And a number falls out, it's about $560. And they're like, well, that's my monthly payment. Well, heck, I can afford that. That's nothing, except that they're dead wrong in their calculations. Remember, this amount of money they've agreed to lend you divided by the amount of months in the promissory note term, that is principal only. There's a lot more that goes into a mortgage payment than just principal alone. And over a 30-year mortgage, if you've got, say, a 4.5% interest rate, interest alone will have you paying for your house uh, more than once. In fact, on a $200,000 note in that scenario, you're gonna pay the principal back, which is 200,000, and another $150,000 on top of that in interest. So you've got principal plus interest that will be ultimately calculated into your monthly mortgage payment. But that's not all. There are other things that go into the monthly payment. For example, real property taxes. Now the county or parish that you live in will assess annual property taxes to any real estate that you own. And some of the tabulations of the amount are a little bit convoluted. Your house will have an assessed value, which is usually determined by the county assessor. And then they take that value times the tax levy amount, which is whatever the local government has determined uh, they're going to tax real estate in that county. And that will give you your annual property tax that you must pay. Now, if you want to ballpark what your property tax will be, it's generally about one to one and a half times the fair market value of your real estate. And fair market value is just what you paid for it. So if you pay $200,000 for a house, somewhere around one to one and a half percent of that will be your annual property taxes that will be due the county. There's also the idea of insurance. You will have to pay as part of your mortgage payment the insurance on your home. Now the amount of insurance will vary based upon the market value of your home, but another way to estimate uh, the insurance annually is it's going to be around a half of a percent of the actual fair market value of your house. So when you're thinking about paying for property taxes and insurance, it's going to be in the vicinity of 2% of the fair market value of your home annually. Now some people ask, why do I have to pay taxes and why do I have to pay insurance as part of my mortgage payment to the lender? And the answer to that is because it's in the security agreement. Now remember, the bank has your house as their security, as their collateral for the loan. And there are a couple of different things that can defeat uh, the security interest of a bank. One of them is if you don't pay your taxes and the local government comes and forecloses upon your house. Now, the local government or government entities actually have superior lien rights to any type of third-party creditor. So banks don't want to take a chance that you might not pay your taxes and that they would lose their collateral to a local government entity. Likewise, the same applies to your house and its ability to be destroyed by, say, fire or tornado or earthquake. The bank doesn't want to take any chance that you might not pay your insurance on your house. So they collect these payments. They collect money for 
property taxes, they collect money for insurance, and they, as the bank, pay those premiums themselves so they can assure that you don't do anything that might undermine their collateral. Last but not least is the concept of private mortgage insurance, PMI. This can also be added to your mortgage payment. And essentially, this is insurance for your lender. If you're in a scenario where you don't have at least 10 or sometimes up to 20% equity or value in your home beyond the loan, the lender will require private mortgage insurance. And essentially, this is insurance uh, that will cover them in the event they have to foreclose on your home and they don't get the full value of the note from the foreclosure sale. Here's an example of that. If your house is worth $100,000 and you owe the bank $90,000, if they sell that at auction in a foreclosure, they're probably not going to get fair market value. They may only get fifty dollars or $60,000 for the house. The PMI insurance would make up the difference in what they get in the foreclosure sale and the amount that you owed them on the note. So it is always best if you can put at least 20% down on the purchase of real estate so that you avoid this extra PMI insurance premium payment. So with all these extra payments, how could you ever really determine what your mortgage payment is going to be? Well, I usually tell people to go back to that original figure. The bank was gonna loan you $200,000 for 30 years. So you divided $200,000 by 360, which is the amount of months in 30 years, and you got a basic monthly payment of $560 a month. Well, double it. When you double it, you're gonna be very close to the amount of the actual mortgage payment that you're going to have when you're paying principal, plus interest, plus your property taxes, plus your insurance, plus any potential PMI insurance. About double that original figure is going to be ballpark to what you're gonna be paying on an actual monthly mortgage payment. So now that you know what your actual payment will probably be on that amount of money, you can decide, can I afford this? Does it make sense to borrow that amount of money from the bank? Is that figure going to be greater than 28% of my gross income annually? And if it is, you might seriously consider uh, borrowing less money so that you don't get yourselves into a financial pickle. Now, once you've got your financing in order, it's time to potentially hire a realtor. And that brings up the question, do I need a realtor? Well, I get that question a lot in the law and people say, do I really need a lawyer? And I say, well, no, not if you went to law school and you understand all the ins and outs of your particular legal situation and you can advocate without any bias uh, or emotion getting involved. Well, obviously they usually look at me like, okay, I guess I need a lawyer. And I'll say the same thing. You probably need a realtor. Now, if you're buying grandma's house and you've got an agreement with grandma on the price, uh, you don't necessarily need a realtor when you have that already worked out. Otherwise, in all other instances where it's a third party that you don't know uh, and from whom you're buying a house or property, you need a realtor. And for buyers, getting a realtor is really a no-brainer because the commission that is paid to the realtor is taken out of the seller's end. And here's what I mean by that. When somebody is selling a house, they'll hire a realtor and they'll generally be a contract or an agreement for a percentage of that sale price to go to the seller's realtor. 
Now, in a lot of places at 6%, some places it's higher, some places in the country it's lower. But that particular percentage will represent the real estate commission on the transaction. Now, in a buyer's agent scenario, most of the time the buyer's agent will have an agreement for fee splitting with the seller's agent. So as a buyer, when you hire a real estate agent, they're actually gonna be paid based upon a fee split with the seller's real estate agent and not charge you as the buyer any money at all. So as a buyer, always get a real estate agent. They are educated, they are beneficial to you, they have access to the multi-listing system, which is all of the real estate that's listed by all of the realtors in your area. They can narrow your search with the computer down to the houses you can afford that have the types of bedrooms and bathrooms and different types of accommodations that you're looking for. A buyer's realtor is a really good idea when you're buying a house. And once you get this realtor, it's time to start looking at houses. And here's what I tell people when they're looking at houses. The first time through, just be there for the moment. Just decide whether you really like it or whether you don't. I always say on this visit, you're looking out the window and you're looking at whether you like the house or not. I always tell people after that, sleep on it. If you wake up and you decide that you're serious about this house, you need to go back and see it a second time. Except this time, instead of looking out the windows, I say look at the windows. Because now you're looking at the actual components and structure of the home. Because the second time through, you're looking at the actual components of the home. And you're looking for anything that jumps out at you as being a problem or being irregular. Now, of course, you're not an inspector. And if you decide to buy the house, you will get a formal inspection done later. But there are certain things that you can observe uh, just by common sense. If there's a giant hole in the roof, you know, hey, there's a problem. When you're going through the house, look for water stains on the ceiling, uh, on the baseboards that might give evidence of a leak problem. Does the house smell musty? Do the doors kind of open and close and the windows open and close or are they kind of jammed, uh, giving you an idea that maybe the foundation is off? Are the windows foggy or can you see clearly through them? These are all things that give you just a basic idea about the overall condition of the home. On the outside, you can look at the house. Does the foundation have any cracks in it? Is the grade of the soil graded away from the house so that water drains away? Are there any great big trees whose roots could get into, say, the plumbing or maybe a yard irrigation system or to cause problems with concrete? These are all things to consider the second time that you look at the house. You should also be considering some of the more global things about this particular area. Is this neighborhood safe? Are the schools nearby going to be uh, appropriate for your family? What is the distance to amenities or childcare or the grocery store or medical services? And finally, last but not least, you need to do a sex offender check. Uh, most state highway patrols have this service and make sure you're not moving in next to a registered sex offender. At this point, if you're serious about the home, you then need to ask for the seller's disclosure statement. In most states, this is required. And this is the seller's statement about the condition of the home, the age of its major components, and if there have been any problems and or repairs to the same. This document will tell you about the age of the roof, and if it's had any problems. 
any problems with the HVAC system, plumbing, electric, and any repairs that were made to the same. You should look closely at this document and make any inquiries about any area where there has been a problem. Having done real estate litigation for the past 20 years, I can tell you that the most oft litigated topic is water intrusion, uh, whether it be through the roof or through the foundation, uh, getting water in the basement. Uh, these are issues that are not disclosed always and are often litigated because the new homeowner comes in and then their basement fills up with water or they have some sort of damage and they're like, that wasn't in the disclosure statement and then we have a lawsuit. So pay particular attention as a buyer to any potential issues regarding water intrusion. And at this point, if everything is acceptable, make an offer. Now I will refer you to your realtor as to the offer. I always say make a reasonable offer, but that can vary a great deal depending upon whether you're in a buyer's market or a seller's market, depending upon the uh, location and the demand for housing. Uh, it can depend upon how long a house has been on the market. All these things can factor into making a reasonable offer. And so I won't try to uh, give you any type of a, an amount in this video because it's all dependent upon the particular situation uh, and that should be discussed thoroughly uh, with your realtor. Ultimately, there will probably be some negotiation back and forth and if you land on an agreed purchase price, congratulations, you are ready to sign the real estate contract. That's all for this video, which was on the things to think about before signing the real estate contract. And remember, you wanna think about where you'll be in five to seven years when you're determining what type of structure to purchase. You need to give some thought to pre-qualifying for a loan and determining personally how much you can reasonably afford for a monthly mortgage payment. And then finally, if you're a buyer, under most circumstances, you'll want to get a realtor. That's the episode. If you have enjoyed it, hit that like button. If you want to learn more about the law, then subscribe to the channel. If you got something to say, you can always comment below and please share my channel on social media. That's all for today's episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dead, get me out of this.